We are healed from suffering only by experiencing it to the full. Marcel Proust Trigger warnings for this episode are words, vomiting, throw up, sick, diarrhea. No stories are told of anything scary. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Metaphobia Help. I'm Anna Christie from Vancouver, Canada, recovered emetophobic, licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia, and your host for this podcast. And today, my guest is Christy Beisel. So Christy is her first name with a Y, and Christy is my mm-hmm. last name with an IE. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christy is from Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada. Um, many of you may not have heard of it, but look it up on a map. And um, uh, some people told me that it was uninhabitable that <laughs> far north. <laughs> but it's cool. that's not really that far north. It's not like it's a Nunavut or something. But <laughs> anyway, welcome, Christy. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Christy and I actually met on LinkedIn, where I I either go hot or cold with LinkedIn. I either go there every morning and I read through my feed and do whatever, or I forget about it for six months. So, you know, <laughs> totally. <laughs> but but you contacted me again, and that's really great to have you here. Um, let's start, as I always do, by just having you tell your story of emetophobia, starting from as young as you can remember having it and, um, and telling us, you know, kind of how, what it was like for you as a child and so on. Sure. Awesome. Okay. So yeah. Um, I didn't really have it at a young age. Um, my first experience with emetophobia was about 16 years old. Um, when I had a pretty big panic attack in, high school, I was in social studies class. And all of a sudden, this panic just kind of like swept over me. And um, I didn't realize then that basically that panic attack made me feel very nauseous. And when you start to experience panic attacks, you're, you know, you start to get heightened, and you don't want to have another one, right? So it just kind of creates that cycle. Mm. But basically, I ended up correlating that feeling of nausea that I had with my panic with I can't feel nausea, and I can't be sick. And that's basically kind of how my whole emetophobia journey started. So as much as I was trying to avoid panic, more panic came. And it just really snowballed. Um, From 16 on, I experienced um, agoraphobia, from it. I couldn't leave my house for three months. Um, I couldn't hold the job down. And I was, my family thought I was maybe I had an eating disorder because I went down to 80 pounds because I couldn't eat. So very Mm -hmm. similar stories to a lot of people with emetophobia when they're really in the trenches um, of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm 39 now. And I'd say I'm probably about 98% healed from it. Uh, but it's been a journey. Yeah, it's definitely been a, a a journey of recovery and healing. 
Wow. Yes, that's quite a late onset for emetophobia, but it sounds almost like it began with you with with what we would normally call panic disorder, where someone just has a panic attack out of the blue, um, and then they are afraid they'll have another one. So they have another one, you know, kind yeah. of thing. or they start avoiding anything that might have to do with, I mean, but then in your brain, there was this correlation between the nausea. And I can imagine you were 16 and you were sitting in school and yeah. no teenager wants to like throw up in their class and, no. uh, you know, like that's got to be. I mean, nobody wants to do that at all, but especially not teenagers. Yeah. Because you're so much, you know, it, it has so much to do with how you're viewed by your peers mm-hmm. and all of that. So I can see the two of them getting really stuck together. And and so your world got smaller and smaller. That's right. You didn't want to go leave the house. Basically, how yeah. Old were, how old were you then? I was, but when the agoraphobia came in, it was probably around 22, actually. So the panic disorder just got more and more and the safety behaviors became more and more. And I, yeah, like it just completely took over. And I should know that at a later age, I was diagnosed with OCD and I believe that emetophobia, it, it's under that umbrella of is, OCD. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I had OCD intrusive thoughts from a very young age, but the panic just had started from 16 and then yeah it just took over everything like I couldn't drive I couldn't I couldn't do anything without it being focused around am I going to be sick my you know how we're so hyper focused on our feet like on our digestive tract and like right any gargle gurgle burp anything it's uh is this Mm -hmm. gonna Mm -hmm. is this gonna make me sick and And, it just kept going you're right it's um I tell my clients, our bodies are very noisy and your gastrointestinal system has to adjust to a different food every day. Not like your dog. It's, you know, four cups of kibble, same kibble, same time every day. But we we don't have people food, people chow. So (laughs) we've got to adjust, right? right. And sometimes that comes with a little nausea queasiness, mm-hmm. pain, yep. upset stomach, you know, all the things in the Pepto-Bismol song, uh, diarrhea too, yep. like lo- loose, loose poop and, and mm-hmm. all of that scares metaphobics. Everything. And it's all totally normal. It's yeah. all just part of normal digestion, but it, it's, um, really scary. So were you diagnosed with OCD f- from a young age or, no. or do you just now know that you had it? I was diagnosed actually at 33 with it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah, 33. And when you were young, um, how young were you and what sorts of OCD th- symptoms did you have? So the OCD I had were, were primarily intrusive thoughts. So I believe that's called like pure OCD. Uh, six years old was my is the, the first age I can remember having intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. Then I had another stint at around 11. And then 16 right. and then 33. And at 33, mm-hmm. that's where I actually went in and received help for it. Okay. But throughout yeah. my young 20s, I was trying to get help for the emetophobia, but it was not working for me at that time. Yeah. 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 And what kinds of help did you seek? For the, for the, emetophobia? For the emetophobia, I tried everything. Um, 
I feel like over time, hypnotherapy I tried. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, it's not a, a many therapists just don't know how to treat it. And I didn't know right. how to explain it properly because I didn't even understand it mm-hmm. properly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. CBT, hypnotherapy, um, what else did I do? I, I attempted exposure. But what's interesting is my exposure therapy that I received at 33 for my OCD actually really helped me Mm -hmm. figure out how to work with it for emetophobia later on. Okay. Okay. So the exposure response prevention ERP, uh, which is standard treatment for OCD Mm -hmm. um, at 33, you 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 did some exposure for the OCD yeah. and that helped you. Yeah. Right. And so then you thought to yourself, this is what I need to do for yeah. my emetophobia. So when you say you had CBT for the emetophobia, like that's what they should have been doing. What were they doing? Well, they were CBT person. The basically the the lady the I there was a, a an older gentleman that tried helping. He just was using CBT. But I think it was more of a me thing where, you know, when you go to therapy and therapists talk about where do you feel this in your body? Where do you, Mm -hmm. for myself, I didn't understand why they were asking that. And I just wanted a quick fix. So it was like to talk about feelings and to talk about things and experiences. It just, I was like, this isn't what I feel like I need help with. You weren't doing exposure with your CBT therapist. No, no. Oh, yeah. See, that's the biggest mistake that I think CBT therapists make. The C is cognitive. That's talking about your thoughts and feelings, right? Changing your thoughts the way you think. The B is for behavioral. Mm -hmm. And behavioral, like you behave your way into the phobia by avoiding what you're afraid of. Obviously, that's the obvious solution it seems especially when you're young like that scares me I won't do that you know um but you need to behave your way out of it the same way by slowly very slowly approaching the things that you've been avoiding Mm -hmm. slowly cutting out the safety behaviors that you've been implementing so that doesn't even sound like CBT it sounds like C it was more (laughs) there was one lady that did cognitive therapy or she did she did help um, or she did start with CBT using it in the sense that it should be used where she, we did go through safety behaviors and I'd always carry a bag in my purse and right. et cetera, et cetera. And she wanted to start there, but mm. she also was a therapist who kind of was like poking fun at it a little bit. Like she was no, no. talking about making vomit, like going home and making mm-hmm. it kind of an arts and crafts thing with her daughter and just kind of sharing stories about herself, about how her and her husband met and their first date, she got really sick with food poisoning and that she can't believe, you know, like he was there for her. And it's so strange to her that she, that, that, that I have this thing. And it it was very much about her and that's odd. it was just, you know, but we know that we can't, every therapist is an individual and they don't, they don't, not one suits everyone. and And, it's it's uh, so under researched yeah. and not well known. Yeah. And there are it used to be I thought just myself and and the sort of um, the king of emetophobia I call him uh, jokingly in in London England Dr David Veal who was researching about it um, throughout his his. Um, 
his career and, mm-hmm. and he's, he's a bit older now, but he's still going strong. Um, he's, he's still doing the research, but my point is now there are lots of people working on it about producing, um, books and workbooks and, yeah and programs and, you know, and, and try and presenting it at seminars to other psychologists and things like that. So it's getting there. It's getting so there, good. but uh, yeah, it's, it's too bad. I hear so many people that I talk to online that have, you know, I tried CBT. Often they say I tried CBT that didn't work. And that's a shame because CBT is the one treatment that has been tested on emetophobia yeah. in a randomized controlled and peer reviewed um, study. And, but, it involves exposure. It, it and that's the problem, right? The exposure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the and, thing. And the exposure, of course, for those listening who are freaking out right now, that doesn't mean vomiting. Yeah. No. Never, ever. No. Um, and it doesn't mean that you start with something super scary. You start with something very, very, just maybe mildly um, kind of gives you a little zap yeah. when you look at it, like maybe just the word vomit or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I you think say you're not 98. Okay, go ahead. No, yeah. I, I just on that, just with what you were talking about there with the um, exposure. So I, I've done exposure um, with OCD and then really created a program for myself around it. But I just want anybody that's listening to understand that the anxiety that you have just when you're living your day-to-day life with emetophobia is always going to, it's higher than you're ever going to feel in therapy. Like you're, if you're at a 10, like you're you're always, you're Mm -hmm. what you feel in day-to-day life with that, Mm -hmm. ah, that panic or whatever, however you experience your emetophobia, that's always at a 10 where with, and you have, you're trying to control it, but you can't control it. But in therapy, yeah. you actually get to control it. And that's what I yeah. really want people to know is you get to actually control the level of anxiety that you feel. Right. And that's yeah. like what's so yeah. powerful is to actually get control back. Yeah. Yeah. And your therapist should be um, very experienced and and well-trained in helping you to get to the level that will be helpful, but yeah. not so much that it re-traumatizes Totally. You. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, the current thought around, um, around panic, uh, or with any of the anxiety disorders is to, or around the anxiety, I guess, is to just sort of leave it alone and let it just be there and kind of live your life in spite of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, that even the people researching about that, they've never done that research with a metaphobic people, because in my experience, for both myself and the people I work with, you cannot do that. You right. can't. It's way too high yeah. immediately. Yeah. So if you get triggered, it goes to 10 yeah. in less than one second. Yeah. You don't have time to kind of say, well, I'm, you know, I'm just going to tolerate this and it's right. in bodies and it's uncomfortable, but no, it feels like you're about to die any second. Absolutely. You no, know you're not. Yeah. You know, you're not going to die. Yeah. That's the other thing. Well, people think they'll die or go crazy. No, they really don't. No. Not the people I work with. They know they won't die and they know they won't go crazy. Yeah. It's just so darn frightening. Yeah. So we have to get it, be able to get the anxiety level in general lower for people and then we can 
you know, I'm, when you say you're 98% healed, mm-hmm. you know, I consider myself pretty much a hundred percent, although something still can zap me. Like if somebody says, you know, if I'm in an elevator, let's say, and mm-hmm. it gets stuck and the person beside me goes, oh, and I'm so nauseous. I think my heart would flip. Right. Over. Yeah. And, and then I could, then I would have time to say, well, it doesn't matter. If this right. Person throws up. It doesn't really matter. Um, so, so I, kind of whatever. I don't know where I was going with that, but the, um, the, the 2% that it, what would you consider the 2% that is not healed for you? You know, I think with you being honest and open about where you're at, I think for myself, I would consider myself maybe after hearing that a hundred percent. Okay. And I think that <laughs> yeah. with, with anybody that's going on this journey, this healing journey of emetophobia, I think for myself, it was, I always wanted it to be, it was black or white. It was, I either have it or I don't. Oh, right. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. And you don't know Mm -hmm. that though, until you get way further along in your journey, that this is something that you've experienced in your life. And you could have experienced, like I've had it, I had it for 20 years. It's a long time of conditioning and behavior patterns and stuff that you have to work through. You don't just forget that you have it. Mm -hmm. So when I get triggered, it's mostly Mm -hmm. when I fly. Right. So (laughs) because I don't fly a lot, right. So I can't work on that Mm -hmm. all the time, but at the same time, I've come so far in my flying, but I still will carry my own bag on a plane. Is that right? Yeah, I still will. I don't like the airline bags. No, there's something about it. I don't want (laughs) like, it's just, but I don't carry a bag anymore. I don't carry anything with me anymore. Like it's so, Mm -hmm. it's so managed now. And just like you're saying, I could go into a situation where somebody at work or something's feeling sick and that would send me to orbit and, you know, Mm -hmm. years ago. And now it's like, okay, well, if I get it, I get it. Like, I don't care. Yeah. Right. right. Like it is what it is, but that flying the bag, it's still a behavior. However, it works for me to get on the plane. Exactly. And eventually if you, if you flew enough, often enough, then you could give up the bag because I also yeah. for many years took out van when I flew. Yeah. Cause if I, if I'm going to fly, it's almost always to Toronto mm-hmm. and that's five and a half, five hours, right? right. Five and a half, depending yeah. on what kind of air uh, plane that you're on. And so I didn't want to be like, Oh, you know, like yeah. five hours, like trying to calm myself down yeah. or whatever. So I would take out a van and then I would just cruise onto the flight yippee you know, have a good time. And, but over the years, the more I did that, I realized that Ativan kind of has this lingering effect even to the next day. It makes me a bit groggy. So I remember one time flying back from Toronto and thinking, oh, I've got stuff to do. Mm -hmm. Like, and I really, I was totally calm sitting in the lounge and waiting for the you know, to board. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to take it. And I didn't. And I was fine. I haven't, I haven't taken it since. So, but then I flew quite a bit Mm -hmm. for a while um, back and forth. So that was, that makes a difference. I think we're not exposed to what we fear very often. That's right. So I I think um, that's a big thing too, is just to, to know that it's not like this light switch that goes off that you all of a sudden just don't have a metaphobia anymore. There's these little, these, there's these celebrations that you have. So for the flying, for an example, I used to like, I've missed three flights 
on purpose because mm-hmm. I felt mm-hmm. so sick, right? Or someone yeah. was actually sick on the plane and I got off of it. And I just was like, well, I'm not going on this thing. However, yeah. when <laughs> I do that, totally. And then, but when I would fly, I would always have to sit at the back of the plane, the last row closest to the bathroom. So I could, if I was going to have a freak out, or if I was going to be sick, I was right there. No one could okay. see me yeah. over the years. Though now I sit in the middle of the plane because I met somebody who was six foot nine. So sitting at the back of the plane didn't work for him. So if I wanted to be in a relationship with him, we'd have to sit in the middle of the, like the exit row. Very tall person. Yeah. I I was, but that relationship was this, it was an exposure that I had to do because I wasn't going to go to Mexico with my boyfriend and not sit with him on the plane. Right. So, so basically the healing on that was I used to have to be at the back of the plane, like had the bag, had the gravel, had the Ativan, had the ginger ale, had the water, had everything set up to the point now where I still have the bag, but I can sit anywhere on the plane. And if somebody is sick on the plane, which has happened to me numerous times now, there's no reaction. But if me getting on the plane and being comfortable just requires me to still have a bag in my carry-on, like my own plastic bag, that's a win. That's a win, you know? And, you know, there are some things that uh, I I tell my clients, you can do that thing the rest of your life and it doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. like what you're describing, you know? And I I thought that way with with, um, taking Ativan. And I also used to take Ativan every time I went to the dentist because I had a lot of dental work when I was a kid. I have like a filling in every tooth in my head. Um, And, uh, and. And so, but then I got a lot of dental work done, you know, maybe 10 or 20 years ago or something and 15 years ago. And, and I just stopped taking the Ativan because yeah. it was fine. You know, yeah. it was fine. So there are, uh, the other thing that people say online, sometimes they say it quite emphatically as opposed to asking a question. They say, well, there's no cure for emetophobia. You just have to learn to live with it because they hear stories like ours, right? Mm -hmm. Where we talk about still being able to get triggered or this or that. Now, first of all, I hate that word cure. I hate it. I I already did a a long post today with uh, the treat your whatever it is, cure your emetophobia and thrive program that um i've bought all, that not not dis- i did it i bought it because i yeah. was interested in it and yeah i i yeah he's a marketer i know that he is yeah he, he's an internet marketer not yeah. a counselor yeah but my point is it's not a disease there isn't a cure it's not pneumonia which has a cure which is antibiotics mm-hmm. you know um it is a all like all mental health it's a disorder which means that the brain is behaving in a certain way. And um, when it has to do, when it's based in the center of your brain, Mm -hmm. your amygdala, which is for your survival, life and death, then it's a super highway to that response. And it's, it's made with concrete, you know, and at first we construct a little wood, wooden highway going a different direction in yeah. you know the neural pathways in our brain so to speak but eventually that gets stronger and stronger and stronger yeah. and if every once in a while something goes down the super highway like my example about being stuck in the elevator that's okay whatever 
you know, because you can, you can quickly then think about it and get it back and say, no, 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 let's go down our own highway that we made because that goes to a calm place and saying this, this is just not a big deal. And who cares if someone throws up in an elevator or or really, who cares if you throw up because it's not dangerous. It's not a threat, you know, it's not anything. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I, like I heard, heard you talk about a bunch of stuff that didn't work. What, what, what got you to this point where you're doing so well now? Well, I think it just, I think a, a lot of it has to do with um, just seeking help. And, and although I really did struggle with getting help for emetophobia, like it, when I did seek it, I felt that it was overwhelming. And mm-hmm. so the, the blessing in disguise a little bit was doing exposure therapy for the OCD intrusive thoughts. Um, But in all honesty, it was looking back at the times that I had gone through something where my emetophobia would be spiked. But also, Mm -hmm. for an example, let's say at a movie theater. Okay, so you go to a movie and you're very controlled, you need to sit in an aisle seat or whatever it is, right? Like, but but then to know that there were times I've been to a movie, and I could sit wherever, so it's, yeah. it was one of those like, Hey, Christy, you've, you've, you've done it before you can do it again and it's going to be uncomfortable, but just, you know, that when you just do it a little bit at a time, it gets better. And to the point where that specific issue is no longer a thing. It just isn't right. a thing anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that was the biggest realization and actually coming to the, like it, coming to the conclusion that there is never going to be this magic pill that's going to cure it or heal it. Like you have to show up for yourself. You have to show up for yourself. And that's basically what it kind of boiled down to was Mm -hmm. knowing that, okay, I'm either going to have to live with this or figure out a way to, to heal it. And that's just kind of what I did. And I just looked at all the, all the ways that what used to be very hard for me to do, like eat certain mm-hmm. foods, et cetera, et cetera, drink. I didn't drink for 10 years. Couldn't have one sip of alcohol because of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I remember one day I had a sip of a cooler and th- just that in itself was massive. Cause I wouldn't even, yeah. I wouldn't even trust ordering a virgin daiquiri without really I was like I wouldn't yeah. even trust that I was like did that did that bartender accidentally okay. put booze yeah. in this this is gonna make me sick right yeah so that's the, an OCD thing yeah so that that there is absolutely no risk that you're willing to take zero zero even if you, it's a, a little alcohol touch the outside of the glass I'm yep. not gonna nope. yeah so uh, that was your own exposure to take a little sip take a little sip and then and yep. then you were okay. And then, and then that little that. sip. Yeah. Now I can yeah, have some, yeah. I can have wine or whatever now and right. not, and not yeah. monitor that. But that's basically the biggest thing is just knowing yeah. that healing takes time and it, like the exposure can be scary, but it's, it's not as scary as we've made it in, in our heads. It's just, it's just not because we're able to control it. Like we're able to control what we're exposing ourselves to. We get True. to choose that but with a therapist. Yeah. With oh, a therapist. therapist. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking Is about therapy. Yeah. Like, right. Right. It's much more structured than when yeah. you're, like you say, when you're sort of let loose in the world, anything can happen to you that 
um, you know, that triggers you and sends you way up to 10 out of a 10. um, Whereas it's a very controlled hierarchy in, um, in a therapist's office that's, um, yeah. And I think that I wish, to be honest, I'm 62 years old. I've been um, successfully treated for metaphobia about 20 years now, but I wish that I were about 25 and could go get a PhD in research psychology mm-hmm. and and do some research for my whole life on this, you know. But um, uh, yeah, there are there are. I've got a lot of data stuff without anybody's name written on. Right. <laughs> so if there are any PhD students out there that want to do a study. I have the data. Mm-hmm. Email me. Um, yeah, go and to my you, website. My and did you find with your own, you know, recovery when, with when you were recovering with it, um, like it is a process, right? Like yes, and it does take a long time, right? Um, now, it, to be honest, when I recovered from it, there was there was no, there was an internet, but there wasn't any YouTube. Mm -hmm. There were no Google images. There was no such thing as Google images. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to go and find stuff online. Uh, There was actually a lady in um, Holland, I think, that that sent some pictures to uh, an emetophobia chat room and I could use some of those. Then I had to go to Blockbuster Video and rent movies that I remembered people um, were sick in. And um, work like that. Now I have a website, as you know, that has all the resources on it that a therapist could ever dream of, mm-hmm. um, as far as pictures, drawings, words, sentences, paragraphs, videos, s- smells, you know, right. um, uh, sounds at 95, I think there's 95 vomiting sounds at that level and other interoceptive exercises. So people can, it's so much easier now, but I spend about six months with clients, about mm-hmm. 20 sessions. And then I tell them, you know, you have to go out into the world and just see what happens to you now. Right. And keep working on this as things happen to you. Um, because we can't structure whatever you're going to encounter in the world. Like at yeah. the office, when someone says they fe- they were sick all weekend or something, I mean, I can't structure that, but that right. might happen to you. Yeah. And then I also tell them the first time that happens, you're going to behave badly. <laughs> you're going to default to mm-hmm. your uh, old setting. And but then you'll go home and you'll go, now why did I do that? Why did I didn't need to do that? You know. Do you um, have? Do you go through all that the the What's interesting is when I was in therapy, I didn't actually have to look at anybody being sick or none oh, of yeah. that. None of that I had to do. It was okay. it was more working on the, the those safety behaviors, yeah. like removing yeah. those and stuff. Where again, yeah. you feel like that could make you get sick, or if you don't right. have that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have mm-hmm. to go look at anything. Do you find that you have to? Do you find that when you're helping folks in your practice that that is something that? is required for emetophobia? Like always? Um, Well, I'm not, I think a lot of people aren't ready to give up any safety behaviors yet. Right. uh, Or at any, at the beginning, and they're not ready to lean into the phobia, like it with their avoidance yet either. Okay. Interesting. So that's why I start with simple things. And it also helps me gauge 
how scared is this person? How high, you know, if they just Mm -hmm. look at one of the words that means the same thing as vomit and their anxiety goes all the way up to five from zero, then, you know, then that gives me some clue as to how serious the phobia is and what sorts of things to work on. So, Whereas other people with the, with one exposure session, they can skip through all the way to level seven or eight, right? you know, and then the second session, we're looking at actual pictures in level nine and then on to videos in level 10. Yeah, it helps because pictures and videos trigger people, even yeah. if they're, they all say to me, well, how does this help me uh, when I'm afraid of myself vomiting? I'm like, just give it time, just wait and you'll see, you know, but it it helps your brain to practice Mm -hmm. what to do when you're so scared, you know, when you see a picture or a video and your anxiety goes up, like, okay, can I tolerate that at that level? What number is it? I always ask. And they say six, let's say, you know, which is quite high. I don't like it to get any higher than six. Can you tolerate that? Can you just cope with it? Then just leave it. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, if you can't, then just try to breathe and and relax and bring it down right. so that you can cope with it you know and so that's uh, kind of where we go and then in the very end you know when they've done all that then we try things like sitting in an office chair and spinning around right or running until you get your heart rate up pretty high right yeah you know? um and a, a few other things like that and then then try two things together. So watch the video and spin around. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Interesting. Uh, l- listen to the sounds and, uh, you know, um, I don't know. I It's all it's all up on my website. No, fair <laughs> um, enough. Whatever the, the final things are, I, I can't remember because uh, usually when people get to that level, I give them, you know, I see them in two to three months and I have them work on those things by yeah. themselves and kind of go out and into the world. But it to to allow yourself to be nauseous and not care is right. the final yeah. level. Yeah. Like I might get nauseous spinning around. I might yeah. get nauseous if I run yeah. on the spot, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it doesn't matter. So just do it and and do it while you're listening to something gross. Uh, eat a big meal and yeah. then spin around. Yeah, you know, yeah. That kind of thing. So if there's people listening today that have never even started exposure and you're listening to me say this stuff, you're going to freak out, but don't freak out because you would, there are so many steps before you get to that point and it's all directed by the client. I don't make any, I can't make anybody do anything. No, exactly. Uh, And I certainly don't judge them if they can't do it. If they say, I can't do that, it's too scary. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do something you know, just a little bit more scary than the last thing, right. but not as scary as what you couldn't do, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's too much of me talking here. Um, I'm really thrilled to have had you uh, with us, Christy. You are a great inspiration to people. Um, your story is, other than the late onset, um, it, which it's other people also have an onset of the phobia in their teens as well. Mm-hmm. You're not alone in that place. Most people in their childhood is more common, but uh, you know, it, your story is basically everybody's story that's yeah. listening. Um, and your recovery shows a lot of courage and perseverance. And 
you're you're a Canadian from the snowy north. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the flu comes around here quite a bit. We, so yeah. yeah, we make them strong up <laughs> yeah. here. <folks>. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, thank you so much. I'm glad that we found each other on LinkedIn. Yes, thank you. We'll run into each other again there, I'm sure. I'm sure. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And thank you to all of you who are listening and subscribing, although Apple Podcasts are now calling it following a podcast, not subscribing. You can click follow the podcast. Um, We've had nearly 10,000 podcast downloads to date. Um, Just fabulous. There are costs involved with producing this podcast. If you're finding it helpful or um, enjoyable, then you can buy me a coffee. Just scroll down in the notes to where you'll see buy me a coffee. I encourage everyone to go to my website at emetophobiahelp.org. It has a ton of information both for emetophobics and for therapists. Meanwhile, stay safe. Those vaccines are rolling out as we speak. Uh, Meanwhile, wear a mask, social distance by two meters, and wash your hands for 20 seconds. See you next week.